This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. It's one of those split shows, ladies and gentlemen. Segment one. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Ramya. Appreciate it. But now, Ramya and I are back here live to take you through the rest of the program. Hang on here. Just going to touch some wood and make sure that that technical uh, stuff is all waved aside. And away we go. But first, let's start off with uh, Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. This week, Joita is going to be speaking to a disability activist and lawyer, David Leposky, about what needs to be improved in Bill C-22, which proposes the creation of the Canada Disability Benefit. That's the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time on AMI-audio, also available on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. As mentioned off the top here of the segment, I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Well, on Tuesdays, we like to check in with our veterinarian, Dr. Danielle Donkind, and she joins us for Ask a Vet. And this year... It marks a special anniversary for the Ontario Veterinary College. It's now been opened for over, well, for 100 years. So they're celebrating something special here at its current location at the University of Guelph. And what do we know about the history of veterinary medicine in Canada? How did it come to be the profession that we know it to be today? Dr. Danielle is going to take us on a bit of a historical tour in honor of the Veterinary College's special anniversary. Danielle, welcome back. Thanks for this. I'm very excited to talk uh, about the history of vet medicine in Canada. Oh, me too. Actually, it was a lot more um, exciting sort of than I thought it was going to be. So okay. <laughs> there you go. 13-minute history lesson here. Let's start with what we know about the earliest days of vet medicine in Canada. Well, you know, ironically, the history of the profession is not something they teach us about in vet school, but I was actually able to find some historical information on the websites for uh, the College of Veterinarians of Ontario and for the Guelph Historical Society. Um, So I guess somewhere around the mid-1800s, Queen Victoria and Britain had approved the creation of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, and, you know, veterinary organizations were starting to kind of pop up in the U.S., And uh, there was sort of an impetus for, you know, getting this sort of organizations going in Canada because I guess uh, the railways and the steamship travel was bringing a lot of European diseases to the United States. And by the 1860s, you know, that was causing a lot of livestock losses across the U.S., And there were concerns that the same thing could happen in Canada. And, of course, at that time, there was no training program in place to teach people the principles of disease or how to be veterinarians. So the first veterinary school in Canada was called the Upper Canada Veterinary School, and it was privately owned and established in Toronto um, by a man uh, named Andrew Smith, who was its first teacher. So he began teaching in 1862, which, holy cow, that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... Um, The first class of officially trained Canadian vets graduated in 1866, and there were three of them. (laughs) That's it. Um, The name of the school is eventually changed to the Ontario Veterinary College, and that makes it the oldest veterinary school in North America. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a very, very old, um, old institution, really. 
1871, the law was amended um, so that nobody could claim to be a veterinary surgeon unless they had been trained by a veterinary school. And then in 1874, 27 vets met in Toronto and um, formed the organization that would eventually become the College of Veterinarians of Ontario. And their legal mandate was to oversee the licensing and governance of professional veterinarians. And that's something they still do today. So lots of history there. Wow, really cool history. And I would like to say some forethinking ahead, be knowing, okay, this is what's happening as as we develop as a, as a land and a country. Uh, we need to take care of this stuff now and get ahead of it with so many people coming here in livestock. And Danielle Johnkind, that would have been back to dealing with all sorts of animals, big and small for you. Yeah, eventually, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um. <laughs> wow. Wow. I just think about your stories about veterinarian work and dealing with the larger animals. So why did they end up moving the Ontario Veterinary College to Guelph in, uh, from Toronto? Well, actually, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture purchased um, the Ontario Veterinary College, the OVC, from Dr. Smith in 1908. And they upgraded the facilities, which were originally at the University of Toronto in 1915. But there was a bit of a revolution occurring in the animal industry, and that was because of the loss of the horse as a method of transportation. So cars were becoming mainstream, especially in the city. And the original OVC focused mainly on equine medicine and not on food animal medicine. And the Ministry of Agriculture wanted to change that. Uh, Guelph was a location that was more connected, of course, with the rural community and the rural farms. And the Ontario Agricultural College that was also owned by the Ministry of Agriculture was located there too. So it was felt that collaboration between the two disciplines would be a good idea and would kind of shift the focus of veterinary training more um, toward food animal. So the new location of the Ontario Veterinary College opened officially on December 12, 1922. So we're, you know, just shy of 100 years. Like, you know, it's going to be pretty close. And it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Danielle, what about other veterinary schools in the rest of Canada? We know today Canada has a total of five veterinary colleges. Uh, While OVC is the oldest one in North America, the next oldest in Canada is the one in St. Hyacinth in Quebec. Um, This is the only veterinary college in Canada that conducts veterinary education in the French language. Um, And it moved to its current location in 1947. Uh, the Western College of Vet Medicine opened in Saskatchewan in 1963, and then the Atlantic Veterinary College in PEI opened in 1983. Uh, the most recent one opened at the University of Calgary in 2008. So, you know, we really don't have that many veterinary schools in Canada, and none at all in the province of British Columbia. So, you know, there's, uh, there's uh, quite... A lot of people are surprised about that, to be honest. It's interesting... As we look at the timing, as as you went over things right there, it's staggering to think of some of the changes in both veterinary education and the veterinary profession in the past 100 years. So what were you able to find out about that? Well, you know, some facts, you know, that that seem kind of hard to believe in the modern day, honestly, you know. Um, For example, in 1922, student tuition to study at the Ontario Veterinary College was $85. (laughs) 
And in 2022, it's $10,758. So big difference there. Um, another unbelievable thing for me to see were, were um, pictures of the original OVC building when it was opened. So it looks rather like an Ivy League building built in the middle of a farm field with a circular driveway out front. And at that time, there was literally nothing around it but, but fields, a barn, and a few houses clustered along College Avenue. And, you know, that original building still stands at the corner of College Avenue and Gordon Street in Guelph today. Um, when I was there at the school, I'm not sure what's in there now, but it held the library, you know, the OVC library, um, among other things. Um, but, of course, in the last century, a lot of other buildings have been added to expand the facilities into those spaces where those fields used to be. And I know that a lot of them are connected to the original building from when I was a student there. Um, and, of course, the facilities have been extensively renovated and changed even since I graduated. I won't tell you how long ago that was. <laughs> <laughs> not in the 1800s. Well, no, 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 of surely. course not. Not quite that long ago. <laughs> But uh, in 1922, 18 students graduated from the OVC when it left Toronto, and a century later, there are 117 graduates listed. Um, another interesting fact is that the law added companion animals to the Veterinary Practice Act in 1931. So we went from oh. a professional, a profession primarily concerned with horses to adding farm animals and then adding companion animals last under the umbrella of veterinary medicine. And, you know, I remember being a student at OVC, and there's a collection of museum artifacts from the early days of profession at the school, and often they would have some of these out on display in the original building. And as students, of course, on our way to class or the library, we'd pass by these old instruments, and I would think, oh, my gosh, we've come such a long way. <laughs> they, yeah. they always look kind of barbaric to me. But, you know, the last thing that, of course, didn't really surprise me was the change in the demographics of the veterinary profession. So, of course, when veterinary medicine first became a profession, it was a male-dominated profession. Wow. So much has changed and developed, you know, since the inception of, and there's a, a vast development. Is vet medicine still a male-dominated profession? Uh, well, you know, there's a paper published um, by Kevin Whitger from U of T and Elizabeth Stone from OVC, and they looked at the history of women in vet medicine in Ontario anyway. And uh, the first female vet graduated from OVC in 1938, but of course, uh, female vets were the exception rather than the rule back then. Uh, most women faced a lot of discrimination getting into vet school and were actively discouraged from applying back in those days. But by the 1970s and 80s, that was beginning to change. And by 2003, there are reports that about 80% of graduates were female by then. Um, currently, the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association um, that released veterinary stats in 2021, um, at that time, there were 15,118 vets in Canada and 62% of them identified as female. So it seems like the vet industry is making great strides in this gender equality. And while that's true, in one sense, it was interesting to note that um, the AVMA down in the States um, published statistics in 2018, and at that time, 59.3% of practice owners were male, and only 29.3% were female. Um, they also reported in 2013 that there was still a significant pay gap between males and females in the mm. vet profession. So pretty much just like every other profession out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, I was all set to say to you until you said that last part. I wonder if it goes up and down if you, you know, over the course of, I mean, I know numbers do, but I wonder if there's been a period of time 
where even you know that number was higher, where the female you know number is higher. Uh, so I, I always wonder that because to me, it's always seemed um, as that opening open profession. So really interesting. But what about diversity and equity uh, and inclusion uh, when it comes to veterinarian medicine? How has that changed over the last century? Well, for the vast majority of the history of the vet profession in Canada, veterinarians have been overwhelmingly male and white. Um, current stats on um, equity, diversity, inclusion in the vet profession in Canada are really difficult, if not impossible, to find. Um, from my own personal experiences, the majority of vets I have met don't represent an overwhelmingly diverse population of ethnicities in any respect. Um, I have met people of Asian and South Asian descent in the vet profession here in Ontario, but very few people from other ethnicities. Um, even when I look at pictures of researchers and vets in veterinary publications, the majority of them, you know, in those pictures are clearly white. Um, and looking into this further, I was able to find some stats from the U.S., and it was clear from those that the applicants to veterinary schools in the U.S. don't reflect the diversity of their population either. Um, so clearly, you know, the vet profession has a lot more work to do in that area. Um, the good news, though, is that OVC seems to be doing just that. You know, according to their college publication, The Crest, um, they just finished a survey of staff, students, and alumni in early 2022, and they're using that information to plan their next steps. So they already have a number of initiatives in place, including educating high school students about the profession to encourage BIPOC students to apply. Um, they're reviewing their admissions procedures to ensure fair access, and they're um, implementing equity, diversity, and inclusion training for the whole UVC community and have added a number of scholarships to help BIPOC students overcome financial barriers to studying. So hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, we'll start to see those efforts pay off. Well, there's, I like you said, I mean, I'm curious about how much uh, more there will be of the representation because it's going to be pretty interesting to get that, right? Especially with the picture that you've already painted on how um, much change there has been with vet medicine and uh, mm -hmm. the talk of it. So appreciate the information, Danielle. I'm looking forward to ne next week as well because we have one of these feel-good stories about a zoo in New York State that got an unexpected surprise from uh, their Asian elephants. Curious about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was a really, really great story. <laughs> okay. Well, we're looking forward to you sharing it with us. Okay. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. Dr. Danielle Jonkine joining us for Ask a Veterinarian, and that's every Tuesday here on the show. Coming up in a couple of moments here on the program, on our wellness chat, Francis Wong shares tips for a smoother recovery from the seasonal flu and cold. And we're talking a lot about that these days, so stand by. We'll get into it some more and enjoy those tips after this. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.